Do you think that because birth control was so pushed on our generation, my generation, the generations that I've lived with, is that why we don't understand hormones in our body? Is like, Do you think they have a relation? Man, that's a really good question. No one's ever asked me that before. I think part of that narrative is like, why even bother understanding your hormones? Because we can just give you a pill to replace them and it will clear your skin and prevent pregnancy and give make you your boobs. Periods. Yes. <laughs> Everybody always brings that oh up. Oh my like, God. They were like, they were like, boobs. I was like, boobs. I know. Same, same. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll, I'll have a larger chest. Like what Pamela Anderson. Oh, like, right? Like, oh my God. And totally. Like, yeah. uh, they only told me the benefits. Yeah. No, like clear absolutely. skin, big boobs. I was like, lost my personality, lost my mm. mind, like, yeah. went insane. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I talk about that in my book, Beyond the Pill. I struggled in the same way, like mental health issues, chronic yeast vaginitis, like things that, like, when I was bringing it up to my doctor, they were like, it's a you problem, not a pill problem. I'm mean, like, even when I brought you side effects, you would not even discuss like the pill being part of that. And some of that comes from the, well, we have to make sure that you're preventing an unwanted pregnancy. And so like that's that's all that matters is don't get pregnant. And then on the flip side, it's also that like doctors are just taught like the pill is this big feminist tool. So don't question it. Don't bring up anything negative. And if you do, like I have, people label you anti-pill and they're like, oh, she's the anti-birth control lady. Like, that's the anti-birth control doctor. I'm like a Latina who came from a large Hispanic family who didn't get pregnant as a teenager, the very first woman in my family, to make it to 30 and then choose to have a baby. Like, I'm not anti this tool that I personally leveraged. I just would have wished to have all the information and that all of my patients got all the information before they started it. Yeah, I mean, that's been our kind of agenda with it all too, is having more conversations around it because- once you learn what it does to your brain and your body, it's like, it's no joke. No, yeah. It's really no joke. And I think it was just so flippant. People were so flippant mm -hmm. about, I don't know if we, because we were women or because we were young women, but it's interesting too, because you said people take the pill, take birth control to not get pregnant. And I think that also relates to our relationship where we have with sex and pleasure, mm -hmm. where it's like, take this to not get pregnant, but yes. there's actually, again, a negation or there's no conversation around pleasure. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is a pill. Do not get pregnant. That's what sex is for. Get pregnant. Yeah. But there's no conversation around pleasure and sex, too. Mm -hmm. No, there's no sex education happening in this country that's pleasure forward, pleasure centered in any way. The countries that have the greatest success and outcomes in terms of Measuring the metrics that we want to avoid, right? The STIs, making sure that people are having consensual sex, that it is pleasurable sex. Like they are talking about pleasure with their youth. And that is certainly, it's a failing in the United States. So the funny thing about birth control is that the fear of an unintended pregnancy, that will put you out of the mood. So you, you might experience like you're, you're aroused, but now you're no longer aroused because then that fear entered your mind. You can't orgasm because all your brain can think about is, oh God, what if I get pregnant? And so birth control is a great way to alleviate that, right? No longer have that fear. Except for some people, you start the pill and that's going to diminish your sexual desire. So you got on the pill so that you would have sex and that you would enjoy sex and not be afraid. But now you're on a drug that literally shifts your hormones in a way that can make sex painful, can make it so it's more difficult to self-lubricate. And can make it so it's more difficult to orgasm, but it can just make it so you don't even want to have sex altogether. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you were talking about some people would take the pill because they had a desire to not feel the feeling of like, oh my God, I'm going to get pregnant. Yeah. And I never had that feeling. I did it in part because of what it would be like when I would t tell a man that I was on it. 
or the person I was with mm-hmm. because they would have the relief. Yeah. It wouldn't be a relief for me. It was like their relief because it was so – pleasure was so focused on them. Yeah. It was so performative. It was so – I didn't even realize in my mind that sex was for me until I got older. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, oh, this is me and this is what I do and this is what you sound like and this is how you move. And Absolutely. It's right? crazy. Because what did, where did we learn sex? We learned it from like media. Like watching movies, watching TV shows. There might be somebody having sex like that, but most people are not having sex like that. Let me ask you, what was your sex education like? Like, what do you remember from it? I'm from Ohio. Okay. So let's start there. (laughs) Small town in Ohio. And ours was, I remember where we, where I was, but I remember we had the slideshows of the STDs. Mm -hmm. So we had the slideshows of the STDs and the STIs. And I think ours was abstinent-focused. I can't really remember, but I remember – I like how you close your eyes. You're like going back in time. I'm, I'm, I remember where I'm sitting, and I remember who I'm – I sat next to this kid named Jimmy that had tattoos all over his body. And Wait, me, in high school? In high school. Oh, that's interesting. Abstinence I, only, but we got tatted. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I, Jimmy was an anomaly. I don't even remember. But, yeah, I remember the feeling and just the energy in the room. Yeah. I remember the feeling, the energy of the room of like shame and guilt and confusion and like Mm -hmm. excitement and just like feeling that palpable energy of like, oh, we're talking about something that's bad. Yeah, yeah. And we're exploring something that we're all sort of dipping our toes into. But the energy was never directed with confidence in a place of like productivity. It was Mm -hmm. just kind of like here, we're going to talk about these things on the surface, but never the truth about pleasure or connection or love or relationship or having consensual sex. So the countries where people are having conversations around consent, I'm interested to talk about that because there's a part of the conversation around that that, you know, positions those conversations like people are too young Mm -hmm. to be talking about sexuality and sex. But you gave a great example of like, if I don't want to hug this person, I can say no and that's also consent. So I'd love to talk a little bit about those exemplary countries and what they're doing. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, so like I said, what we see is consent conversations start with toddlers. So they start very young. They're given the proper names of their bodies. So there's none of this like hoo-ha or cookie, which I don't shame anybody. Whatever you want to call your body is fine, but you should know. I meet too many adults that are like, no, the outside vagina. And I'm like, what's okay? Vagina is inside, vulva is outside. And they're like, vulva? Like, is that like Mm -hmm. that's a word? Or they'll be like your lips. And I'm like, okay. And that's your labia and really just, you know, you can call it whatever you want, but when you are going to talk to a provider, it is really helpful if you're on the same page, but also you should just know the anatomically correct terms for your body. So there's that piece. There's also then it is pleasure, like pleasure is part of the curriculum. It's not this like, so you're, you're talking about, oh, here come the STI slides. Yes, that's fear-based. Like there's a lot of fear-based propaganda around sex. Can you get STIs via sex? Yes, you can. You can also get HPV from making out with someone who has HPV in their throat and mouth. So it's not like it's abstinence only and you only hold hands like you won't catch something else where humans and these organisms are made to like jump a ride onto our bodies. So the other thing in these countries is that what you see is that so I call them children, but like, right, they're like teenagers. So I'm like, what's a a child from the perspective that I'm a mom? (laughs) But like these are like, you know, young adults. We see that they actually have sex at an older age compared to the U.S. So the U.S. people are having sex at a younger age. And when they survey people in the U.S. and they ask, how was your first time? A lot of people regret it. There's a lot of regrets. And they felt pressured. They didn't feel like they were ready. You ask these other countries, you ask Germany, you ask someone in the Netherlands, you say, okay, well, how was your first time? 
Majority of them say, fun. It was really fun. It was really pleasurable. They have less partners, so they tend to be more monogamous. They tend to talk to their parents about it. I mean, in some of these countries, sleepovers among teenagers, like of opposite sex, is acceptable. His parents allow this. I was actually talking with someone, her husband's Swedish. So they're talking about their son has a bed. He wants to get a bunk bed. But her husband's like, he can't get a bunk bed. He needs to have this queen bed. His wife's like, why? Why does he? He's 10. And he's like, well, in a few years when girls start sleeping over and she's like, wait, what? And they're like, she's in the Midwest. She's like, nobody's sleeping. You don't understand. No one's sleeping over. And he's like, that's so weird. Like, what do you mean? Like, and I, and, and she was asking, like, what do you think about that? And I'm like, I think you need to have a conversation. That's what I think about that. But culturally, it's just so different. But when you look at the rates of STIs are lower, having sex later in life, talking with your parents, open communication is happening, sharing experience with the parents, consent being a part of it means that nobody feels like this guilt, this pressure, this coercion and female pleasure is explained. So a lot of times in sex ed in the United States, it's like, what's a vagina for? Babies go out, penises go in. It's very male centered. Mm -hmm. It's that very much like you're reduced to your reproductive capacity. You you capture sperm via a penis and then you push out a baby. Like that's it. And there's no, hey, let's get clitorate. Let's talk about the clitoris and explain you know, explaining to people how all of that works. And so that's also happening in these other countries. And it's not something that's like, oh, just these like one-off countries, the World Health Organization has actually, like they started the Pleasure Project. They're like, pleasure is so crucial for health that this should be taught. And this is something everyone has a right to. And meanwhile, the US has like fingers in their ears being like, la, 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 I don't hear that. Thank you so much for tuning in to Morning Microdose by Almost 30. We hope you enjoyed waking up. As always, we encourage you to take what resonates and leave the rest. If you enjoyed this trip, Tune into the full episode on the Almost 30 podcast. All episode information can be found in the show notes. Make sure to subscribe. And if this becomes a part of your morning routine, be sure to share it with a friend. We have new inspiring doses Monday through Friday. Follow us on Instagram at Morning Microdose and follow Almost 30 at Almost 30 Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the vortex.